0: Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I am so glad that we're going to have this time together. I hope we have all of the two hours. And if you miss any of it, you can always check out the old podcast because it's up right after the show. We've got a great show. Rob Bluey is going to be joining me in just a minute. And then Pastor Jeff Dodge is coming in in this hour. In hour two, Dr. Tim Walsh will be coming on talking about addictions and what's happened post-pandemic. Now that things are quieting down a little bit, what has happened in the addiction world? And then Josh Choi is going to be coming on. He is a virtuoso violinist. We're going to talk about his music career, which will all be fun. So to get things started, let's bring on Rob Louie. He is the executive editor at The Daily Signal. You can always go to dailysignal.com to read what his uh, work and his colleagues do over there at uh, The Daily Signal. It's it's wonderful stuff. Rob, welcome. It's great to be back, Bill. Thank you. Thank, yeah, so I want to let listeners know that because Rob is a conservative um, person and that there's going to be people that are going to not agree with Rob and that's uh, okay. And I want you to know you have a voice always. And if you want to ask any questions, you can always do that. The best way to do it is uh, on the text line, 877-933-2484. Love to hear from you. Anything you like. So Rob, I do have a question from a listener and it goes like this. And this concerns the House committee That Nancy Pelosi is forming to investigate the activities that occurred at the U.S. Capitol building on January 6th. Do you believe that Nancy Pelosi has the right to accept or reject the picks that Kevin McCarthy made to become part of the House committee to investigate the incident on January 6th? After McCarthy gave Pelosi the names of five senators or representatives to be part of the committee, she chose to reject the names of two of his picks, after which he withdrew all the names that he had submitted for the committee and insisted that she did not have that uh, insisted that she did not have the right to reject his picks. So this um, would like clarification on the process of selecting people to be part of this House committee.
1: Great question. Yes. So um, on the the process part, Pelosi, it is within her role as Speaker of the House. She does have this this privilege uh, given her role to do what she did. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean it's the right or the best move on her part, of course. But uh, from a process standpoint, uh, yes, she can she can form this committee. Uh, she can um, put on the committee the individuals that the Republican leader recommends or, or reject them. And ultimately what happened here was Pelosi said two of the five people that the Republican leader suggested uh, were not acceptable to her. Uh, Congressman Jim Banks and Congressman Jim Jordan. She rejected those two. She said she was willing to take the other three. And the Republican leader then said, no, uh, if you're going to do that, then I'm not going to I'm going to withdraw all five of them and you're not going to have any of them. Uh, Pelosi then responded by putting uh, Republican Congressman Adam Kinzinger on the panel, so now there are two Republicans, Liz Cheney and Kinzinger, um, who will be part of this uh, this committee along with the the Democrats, and they of course had their first uh, first meeting today, and it uh, made it made some news. So I I think that there are a couple of implications here, Bill. I mean, so again, like I said, whether or not she had the right to do so is slightly different from whether or not she should have done that, and I think one of the things that we want to get to the bottom of is. The unanswered questions here. Why did this happen? Why did the Capitol Police not prepare more for it? Uh, What were the motives of those individuals who who entered the Capitol? So there's a lot of things that both Republicans and Democrats want to ask. And now I think essentially what you're left with is two uh, partisan investigations, because Republicans have vowed to do their own, and Democrats are now doing their own with a couple of Republicans who don't like Trump. And I'm not sure that it's going to really lead us to any different place in the end of the day, because you're going to have Republicans who embrace one point of view and Democrats who embrace another. And uh, that's not really the outcome that I think benefits anybody.
0: Mm -hmm. So, Rob, I've been busy not watching the Olympics lately. Um, Have you been watching (laughs) any (laughs) of them?
1: No, I haven't. I mean, I've been following the news, but not watching on on television. Um, Yeah. And why uh, is that? Any reason? uh, Well... Uh, for, for you know, Bill, I mean, in my case, it's because I have three kids, <laughs> <laughs> I could have guessed, that. And, and I'm exhausted, and at the end <laughs> yeah, of the day, that's not that. exactly probably how I want to spend my evenings, but uh, but no, I think, I think there's a variety of reasons. First of all, we have to remember that Americans are consuming information and media in, in very different ways than we did even four years ago, and we know that. The cable broadcasts are, are just not as popular as they once were. Uh, that's the case if you look across the board at sporting events. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's not just the Olympics. I mean, I just think that it's a it's a different nature. I think that the, part of that was caused by the pandemic and our viewing habits probably changed. I think part of that is because people see the Olympics as being more politicized than they have been in the past, and they might be uh, less interested to to embark on that. And I think it's just a you know a matter of um, <laughs> personal preference, and you know. Maybe there are certain parts of the Olympics that people will turn into more than others. But uh, but yeah, no, it's uh, it's certainly it's certainly disappointing to see people not supporting our athletes at the same rate. But maybe they're doing so in other ways like I am.
0: I feel really sorry for these Olympics because of the problems they're having in Japan. And then, of course, you hate to see the stands empty and you feel sorry for the athletes that would love the buzz of a crowd. And I don't know if that makes it harder to watch on television or not. I don't think people struggled as much watching football without a crowd, but they did They did pipe in an audience or pipe in a bunch of fans, but it seems that's like true. at the Olympics, I, it's, it seems sadder to me.
1: It does, and and of course, there's a whole variety of factors as to why that's the case. So Japan does not have... The population vaccinated at at a at a rate that I think, you know, the Olympics were comfortable with. So, I mean, that was one piece of it. Uh, obviously, we have the Delta variant uh, spreading rapidly, and we, we certainly want to protect our athletes and make sure that they don't get sick. So, I mean, I think from a safety uh, and health perspective, I, I, I get it, but you're absolutely right. It, it does change the environment. And as an athlete... I mean, even my kids' swim, swim meets have a very loud and, and, <laughs> and cheering crowd. Uh-huh. So, I mean, from a very young age, I imagine these athletes were, were experiencing crowds as just part of the, the whole experience. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I, I'm sure it, it does have a, an impact. But you know what? The athletes will, will find a way to, to overcome that. And it's, it's great to see that so far um, the games have been able to continue even with some of these disruptions that we've had
0: yeah it's a lot of pressure to perform on the world stage in athletics and you think you're spending your whole career training for this opportunity and like you said rob there's uh, these these athletes are used to having crowd support having cheering having you know the confidence of a full crowd or a crowd of people encouraging them and you, you remove all of that and um it's uh it's it's a different it's definitely a different event
1: well, and of course, the you know the big news coming out today, Simone Biles, the the, the famous gymnast, uh, deciding that she was not going to compete, um, and the United States team getting the silver. I don't know if that would have changed had she been part of that competition, but she cited. That it was, um, it was her mental health. Yeah, I read it was read uh, too stressful uh, to compete, and this, she's not the first athlete to come out with a comment like this. So I, I think it, uh, you know, we should take a step back. And I mean, I, I'm sure social media contributes a lot to this um, in terms of uh, the the exposure that they now have and the additional pressures um, that they have with their own. Brand as a, as an athlete, so um, you know uh, certainly uh, keeping a close eye on on all of that, Bill, and, and seeing uh, how how it affects the the USA's performance going forward.
0: Yeah, Rob, what do you know that's coming out of the CDC on mask mandates?
1: <laughs> wow, Bill, uh, it's like whiplash here. Um, <laughs> I know. You know. I don't mean was... to bring this
0: up again on you, but but uh, please answer. <laughs>
1: well, well. So for for those for those listeners who don't know and haven't been following the news today, the CDC came out yet again with another uh, reversal of a policy they just set two weeks ago. Uh, two weeks ago, they said vaccinated students did not need to wear masks indoors. Today, they have reversed themselves on that, saying now the kids should wear masks in schools this fall. They also said. Even if you are fully vaccinated, you should wear a mask indoors um, in areas where COVID nineteen has a high transmission rate. And so, wow, um, you know, I think a lot of Americans are saying, "What is <laughs> what is going on here with with the CDC?" Um, so, I mean, part of this is seems politicized. It seems that some of the decisions are not health related. It seems that uh, politicians are are exerting their influence, and, and and I think that that's one of the reasons why Americans are 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 so confused about the, the state of affairs. I mean, just when we felt like things were going back to normal, now we're told that we needed to go back, or we're having more lockdowns in some cities. We're having to wear masks again, and uh, and certainly uh, the tactics that that's, that some. Uh, politicians have taken, I think, not necessarily you know, Republicans or Democrats specifically, but I'll just paint a broad brush and say uh, those who are uh, adopt a more preachy tone and, and lecture uh, Americans about what to do about their own health decisions um, does not help. Uh, Americans don't want the government coming in and telling them what to do when it comes to their own health. I think that uh, those decisions are best made um, with uh, conversations with your own family, uh, doctors, nurses, um, you know, those who maybe have had the vaccine and, and can speak from personal experiences. But, uh, you know, to get lectured from from a podium by somebody doesn't seem to be working all that well. And that's why the vaccine rate um, has has stagnated, Bill. So, um, you know, I realize the CDC is is trying to prevent uh, the Delta variant from spreading, but I'm not sure that its guidance is uh, is helping Americans in that regard.
0: A friend of mine who lives in Iowa was told that the covid was exploding in Iowa. So he did some checking on his own and went to the CDC. And in the last 24 hours, 23 people had been admitted into hospitals 90% of ICU beds and 35% of regular beds are open. Those are kind of. Wow. Those sound like empty hospitals.
1: Well, and from our own um, health policy experts here um, that, that we work with at, at the Heritage Foundation and Daily Signal, I mean, they, they've looked at the numbers and they, they indicate that, yes, the number of cases is going up, but at the same time, you're not seeing uh, that the, the same spike in, in hospitalizations or deaths, fortunately. But, Bill, a couple other facts that I just want to share with your listeners. First of all, uh, France and Italy are both experiencing similar case rates to those in the United States. Uh, Both of those countries, France and Italy, have stringent mask mandates. So it just raises the question about the value. Um, Number two, uh, we shouldn't forget that 80% of Americans who are at the greatest risk of dying from COVID are already fully immunized, immunized. So you know the people who need the vaccine appear to be getting it. It's those who are younger, um, who have made the decision for for whatever reason in their own personal life um, that they're not going to get it. And I, I understand that that the Biden administration wasn't able to meet its mark, and it, it, it failed in that regard. Um, but this blame game that we now seem to be playing uh, I, I think just has the, the opposite effect. Um, and there are certain individuals, uh, particularly in minority communities, um, who seem to be lagging significantly behind. And I think that there are some historical reasons for that, and we shouldn't discount them. And they probably don't have the same level of trust in government um, as other individuals might. So all, a whole variety of factors going into this. And I, I really admire your listeners who do seek out the facts and uh, and don't just take some 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 talking head's uh, word for it, because I think that there's so much information that is available at, at our fingertips, it's worth uh, taking the time to do the research ourselves.
0: Uh, thank you. Rob, next up, I want to talk about money, uh, not necessarily yours, but I want to talk about the infrastructure plan and inflation. Rob Lewis, my guest, he's the executive editor at The Daily Signal. We'll be right back. <music> Rob Louie, i glad to talk to him on Tuesdays, he's my Washington D.C. correspondent, I always catch up what's going on in our nation's capital from him, he's the executive editor at the Daily Signal and Rob, I'm curious about the infrastructure plan, where we are with that because I'm a big fan of roads and bridges uh, and I assume that's all that's in there
1: <laughs> well i I wish that were the case no there is a there is a lot of a, a lot of roads and bridges, and I think all the American people definitely do want good roads and bridges. I certainly know that I do, but it seems that some uh, uh in Washington have other agendas perhaps bill uh and they don't want to just improve infrastructure but ram in some other uh priorities uh pet projects of their own and so the important thing to remember here is we're really talking about two. Pieces of infrastructure. Um, we're talking about what they call the hard infrastructure; those would be things like roads and bridges. And then we're talking what they are now terming soft infrastructure—things like childcare and uh, free free college and things like that. And so, you know, there's um, the, the the hard infrastructure is much smaller; it's about a half a trillion dollars. The other one is is, is somewhere in the range of three point five trillion. So, a really big, mm. uh, a, aggressive uh, piece of legislation, and the bipartisan. And talks that have been taking place, um, you know, have gone back and forth. Um, So. There is, you know, news within just the last day or so that um, they're on the precipice of falling apart uh, because the lawmakers who are involved in that—they uh, say they're calling the Group of Twenty uh, can't come to agreement on on how they're going to pay for it. Uh, that's really important to the Republicans who are part of the the agreement, and uh, and and it, you know, it remains to be seen what happens with this much larger package. Because as Speaker Pelosi has said, in order for anything to get through the House of Representatives, where Democrats have a really narrow majority she wants to have both of those pieces of legislation uh, come out of the Senate. Um, So even if President Biden's Bipartisan deal does somehow make its way through the Senate. Uh, there's no guarantee it'll ever make it to his desk unless this other larger piece does as well. So it's very complicated. It's hard to follow all of the the details back and forth. But um, but one thing that we know uh, always motivates Congress is the August recess, uh, which is coming up at the end of next week. And so uh, you better believe that they're going to try to get everything done that they can get done if there is an opportunity to strike a deal, so they can get back home and spend the rest of august uh with uh with their constituents and their families and going to all those uh those fun um uh, fairs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, so you know uh that's where they that's where they do the you know the politicking if you will. um but bill uh you know best i can best my my best guess at this point is that nothing gets done. Okay. Uh, i think that we are in a state of of gridlock in washington and i just don't see Uh, the two parties being able to come together and get past their disagreements on this. And maybe I'll be wrong here, but uh, that's certainly my my prediction today. Always a shame, isn't it? If they can't come together. Well, and, you know, I, I think, you know, Today, um, we we found out that we we lost uh, you know a, a great American uh, former senator from uh, Wyoming, uh, Mike Enzi. Uh, he's somebody who I covered uh, when I was a, a congressional reporter. Um, he he passed away uh, following a bike accident mm-hmm. uh, in Sorry which he that. was he was he was injured. He was uh, seventy seven years old, and I, I I bring him up because uh, this quote from Mike Enzi really struck me today, and he said often the best way to get something everything can agree on is to leave out the things you don't agree on and focus on what you can get done. Mm. And he said, um, you know, that there's a difference between compromise, which means that both sides would give in to things that they don't like, and what he referred to as common ground. And common ground was working together on those things that we do agree with. And it seems that we, <laughs> we certainly lack that in Washington right now. So maybe the, maybe the lawmakers will take a page uh, in, in memory of Mike Enzi and, uh, and try to get something done. That we can only hope.
0: Yeah, I think when Congress gets together, they should start every session playing with puppies. Both sides. Yeah. <laughs> right.
1: That I mean, and a prayer.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes. exactly. Exactly. They'd probably be better off if they did that. All right, let's talk a little bit about inflation. I do see prices going up. And some are coming down. You know, you see the price of some building products, lumber, that's coming down 60%. Gas is going up. Food's going up. Uh, well, how do we put all this in perspective, Rob?
1: It, it is diffi- difficult to, to follow. And, and then the other thing you're starting to see is that uh, some companies are, are making smaller packaging. So it might seem like the price stays the same, but you're actually getting less of the product because they're they're putting fewer Chips in the bag, or or milk in the jug, or whatever it may be. So, yeah, uh, it, it's it's a concern, Bill, and and the Biden administration continues to talk about it as being transitory, meaning that it's just something that we're going to have to deal with in the short term, but uh, long term, it's not going to be as big of an issue. And so, I think that it's one of those things we don't really yet know. Um, it's uh, it's one of those factors where there are some uh, some variables that you know are just hard to figure out. Uh, I I can tell you one thing, though. Uh, This move that uh, we're we're, we're, we're just talking about uh, spending trillions upon trillions of dollars uh, of of government money does not seem like it's going to help the inflation problem. It seems like it's only going to make it worse. And so I think that that's probably one reason that some of the moderate Democrats have some apprehension about moving this massive bill forward. And it's why even I've read reports that President Biden himself – who has seems like he has a fairly good pulse on what the american people want at least he did during the the election campaign um probably might be a little bit reluctant to to do something that's that's so aggressive that it might exacerbate the problem. Because let's face it, uh, politicians are going to have to stand for election in November of 2022, uh, with the margin in the Senate so so close, um, you know, Republicans could easily take back both of those chambers. And we do know that a lot of voters uh, decide uh, to go to the polls uh, with the pocketbook in mind. And if they decide that, uh, that Washington's uh, creating a bigger problem for them, when it comes to their their paycheck, uh, that's one of the things that uh, that they'll certainly be uh, be concerned about. And so, yes, um, inflation r- remains on on all of our minds, and it uh, means that uh, if we don't have the ability to, uh, if our money, if our paycheck doesn't go go as far uh, because we're paying more at the grocery store or at the gas pump, uh, that's something that I think will uh, will continue to be of interest and in, in concern to the American people.
0: Mm-hmm. Rob Louie is the executive editor at the Daily Signal, and one of your colleagues, Rob Virginia Allen wrote a very interesting piece. This is a religious liberty case, but a mom filed a lawsuit after the teacher tells the third grader she can't wear the Jesus loves me mask. Tell us more about that.
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> this one seems like it's ripe for uh, for you know getting overturned. Uh, that's for sure. Um, but uh, but this is why we count on the courts, <laughs> right, Bill, to come in and protect our religious liberties. So, I mean, more and more often it seems that uh, individuals who want to express their religious belief, beliefs and and exercise their freedom of religion, you know, encounter problems like this, and so. Um you know it's one of those those situations where I think it's probably a lack of education on the part of of those who are trying to put in place policies um uh, that uh that impact individuals like this, but it's it's also another case where I think people just have an anti-religious sentiment and they're going to, to you know take it out on individuals who um, who do that. I mean, we just uh, came back from a, a conference where we talked to a pastor in California who was talking about the government's role in terms of uh, restricting his ability to bring together his his uh, his parish to worship together and and some of the challenges associated with that. So everything from uh, the writing on a T-shirt to you know to to bringing people together in prayer uh, seemed to be uh, big battlegrounds. And I think that's unfortunate.
0: Yeah. So the Blueys are on vacation next week. Do tell us what you're doing.
1: (laughs) That's right. We're going to be celebrating, uh, my in-laws, uh, 50th wedding anniversary, uh, who, who talk (laughs) about a a coincidence bill. My in-laws were married, uh, 50 years, 1971, uh, uh, on, on August 14th. And my parents were married 50 years ago, uh, August 21st. So a week apart, um, wow. who would have ever thought that uh, my wife and I would have <laughs> been so blessed to have parents, uh, both of whom, um, you know, have, have been together for so long. And, and I think it's just a testament to, you know, the, the importance of, of marriage and uh, what great parents uh, they are to, to all of us. And so uh, we're going to celebrate with them and then we'll turn around and celebrate with my parents. So lots of parties yes. in, the, in the future.
0: They are demonstrating commitment because I'm sure your parents have never had an argument in their life. <laughs>
1: that's right, and you can tell them I so, said that. They're they're fantastic role models for for all of us, and and as we've talked about on this show in the the past, I'm a big believer in you know uh, the two parent household and the yep. success that we see uh, for kids when when parents can work out their differences and 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 be um, be good role models. That's Amen. that's for sure.
0: Amen. Rob, have a wonderful vacation. I'll talk to you in a couple of weeks.
1: Thanks, Bill. You Take got, care.
0: you Rob Blue. has been my guest, executive editor at the Daily Signal. You can always head to Daily Signal. After a short break, we're going to hear from Pastor Jeff Dodge. We're going to study 2 Timothy and what he has learned on leadership. Uh, He said something just kind of knocked him out of the blue. I can't wait to hear what that is. We'll be right back. Talking scripture, and my guest, Pastor Jeff Dodge, has said, I love it too. And yeah. hey, Jeff, how are you? You're already, on. You're already on. This is great. I'm on.
2: Yes. Yeah. I'm looking forward to our conversation.
0: Yeah. So here's uh, something I, I ask people regularly. Uh, I'll say, What was the last thing the Holy Spirit revealed to you in scripture in a fresh way? You know, maybe you've read something 30 times, and the 31st time you go, Whoa, 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 I didn't see this. And yeah. it's, it's, it's a new. Uh, something new the Holy Spirit has led you to, and whenever mm. I hear Christians talk about that, I see something in their eye, a little sparkle of excitement, and I think you've got that on Second Timothy today.
2: Yes, yes. It has been such a beautiful journey through this small book. I Honestly, I do feel like I'm reading it for the first time in many <laughs> I ways.
0: L- I love that. Yeah. Now, before we get started with this, Jeff, uh, just let everyone know who you are and read your bio yeah. for me.
2: yeah. So I am a pastor at uh Veritas Church. Veritas is the Latin word for for truth uh down in Iowa City near the University of Iowa. Um even chose the name Veritas specifically because it's it's a classic university name like Harvard sure. or so the you know their motto is Veritas, you know, truth. And uh so forth. so anyway, we we try very hard to reach out to the University of Iowa students and that's a really important part of the vision for why we established our church right in the shadows of this university. So we have lots of young people, a lot of university students, which means um, an incredible number of young leaders being raised up all around us. And so that's part of why even the draw to a book like Second Timothy, because yeah. he's a you know a young leader that is a protege of the apostle and, man, all sorts of things we can learn that's from the relationship. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So you saw something new and fresh the Holy Spirit led you to out of uh, Second mm. Timothy, so let's dig in.
2: Yeah, yeah. And I think the one of the first things right out of the gate is the incredible, endearing relationship that Paul had with Timothy. In other words, he's more than just a colleague. He's more than just a young, aggressive leader that he can uh, send out uh, to do the work there's a father-son relationship, an endearing relationship. And that caused myself and and some of the other pastors to really um, just pause and consider how important it is to truly love each other as we are working together for Christ and for the furtherance of of his kingdom. And so that took me back to even um, the end of the Gospel of John. It's so interesting the way that John, almost, it would seem to be an anticlimactic ending to that incredible Life of Jesus uh, biography that he wrote, but it ends with Jesus cooking breakfast for his friends, and he has this beautiful, engaging time with Peter, you know, do you love me, Peter, and go feed my sheep, but it's all around this breakfast table, you know, it's not the heroic, No, get out there and, you know, get her done. You know, it's, it's not this uh, rousing kind of head coach moment. It's a relationally tight community that he has created. And that seems to just then be pervasive throughout the early church. And you can really see it then with, with Paul, the way he's relating to Timothy, again, not as a really good heroic worker, but as somebody that he dearly loves and wants to encourage along the way. So That was one of the first things that hit me. When I love I started it. Going through this book, I,
0: I, yeah. I love in the in the uh, first five of the first chapter of Second Timothy. There's a nice mm-hmm. nod to grandmothers.
2: Oh man, I love and, that, and and the <laughs> mother as well. Yeah, it's, right. It's a huge, and and he'll come back to that. By the way, when he gets into chapter three, he'll he's comparing uh, the kind of boisterous way that these false teachers are getting a lot of attention, but but he says no, you've got to live a godly life in Christ Jesus. And he says, hey, remember from infancy that you've known these scriptures, you know, from the tender instruction that you got from your mother and grandmother. And he says, hey, remember from whom you learned these things. So he's he's really talking about both himself, hey, remember me, my character, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but also this incredible, apparently uh, unbelievable mother and grandmother that passed the faith along to him. So, yeah, yeah, this familial language kind of permeates the whole whole book.
0: Yeah, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first mm-hmm. lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother mm-hmm. Eunice. How yeah. sweet is that?
2: That's so sweet. And, you know, we have grandchildren. In fact, we just had all of them here uh, over our, this last weekend, rented a bounce house for them. <laughs> <laughs> was, that
0: last the, last was that something that was blown up in your front yard, or was that your actual yeah, was, inside of the house oh, you live man. in?
2: we We had this massive, and it looks like an Iowa Hawkeye castle when it's all fully That's inflated funny. out in my backyard. Um, but I'm just reminded of the stewardship of my own grandchildren, right I mean i'm uh we've got this school of theology we've created for future leaders and constantly pouring into um you know others outside of my my biological family. But then here are these littles you know all around me, and uh man i'm I'm so grateful that I get a chance to pour into them and even maybe primarily pour into them as my stewardship.
0: I hear it in your voice, Jeff. Thank you for mm. sharing that. Yeah. All right, yeah. let's let's keep digging. What else?
2: Yeah. Yeah, well, the other part about 2nd Timothy is the tone of the whole book. He is uh kind of ratcheting up the emotional level maybe. He's he's realizing that this uh is very likely the last thing he will ever write to Timothy will likely very never, never see him again. Um, you know, we, we think of Paul's imprisonments and and often we think of that house imprisonment that he had at one time where there was great freedom and people could come and go and see him and uh, like a house arrest kind of thing. Well, this is not that he is now in stocks and chains and uh, it's a dismal, terrible, terrible ending to a, incredibly credibly faithful life. And so he knows that his his days, maybe moments, are limited. And so you feel this urgency. The tone is very urgent as he's thinking, "This may be the last moment I have." Uh, even in writing to my dear son Timothy, and so um, I, I feel that as well. I guess as I'm looking around at the times in which we are living and uh, the state of God's church, often the the false teaching that is permeating the evangelical church right now, the distractions, the um, even the, the emptiness of some of the things that are, are distracting, uh, God's people and ruining their faith. He talked about that in chapter two, that there's, there's a ruining going on. It's not just, you know, these empty, useless things that are just kind of distracting. No, it's ruining people who listen to this stuff. And so I'm, I guess I'm picking up on Paul's, uh, Urgency and and it's stoking my my own urgency as I teach our people this book.
0: I love that, Jeff, and I. am also thinking of the fact that this is a uh, Paul may not ever write another letter to Timothy. This probably yeah. will be it, and he'll never see him again. There's something right. awfully tender about this is this is an it letter. This is it.
2: Yes, yes. So you. So it's just really beautiful the way he's, he's trying to paint these pictures, you know, much like Jesus using, uh, allegories and analogies. So he talks about soldiers and athletes and farmers and there are vessels and there are servants and there are, you know, just all these, he's really pulling out all the stops to in his imagery that he's creating through it all. So yeah, it's a, it's a, an emotional, yeah. colorful, really, uh, multi-textured, I guess, uh, writing, yeah. a little bit distinct from some of Paul's other writings, you know, where he's a little bit more calm, <laughs> uh, a little bit more deliberate, uh, maybe on the doctrinal things he's trying to bring across. This, there's, a, mm. there's a real tone of emotion
0: yeah. in his writing here. And it's not like you can send a text and then a follow-up text. Right. You no, know, this, 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 right. uh, he's in prison with limited supplies, probably writing his last letter. That's uh, right. It, when you put it in that context, it's just so moving as you read each oh. word
2: moving yeah so moving and and even when he comes to in chapter four where he says make every effort to come to me soon <laughs> you know he's, he, and he's talking about at this point um how many have deserted him and it's really shocking you know that after a, a lifetime of pouring into so many faithful people that he finds himself very much alone and you kind of tear up a little bit as you think about him just longing for Timothy's presence. Yeah, no. You know, just not not because he even has something to bring, something of great value to bring. It's more just his very presence. I just long for you to come and see me soon. Yeah. Um
0: Pastor Jeff yeah, Dodge is my guest as we're talking about Second Timothy. And Jeff, as I look at chapter two, I mean it's this appeal is being renewed. And even mm-hmm. he says, Join me, join with me in suffering like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. That's right. Yeah, yeah,
2: suffering. Suffering is a, I mean, an unmissable theme throughout the book, and uh, you know, much of that is because of his own, you know, life, life circumstances. He's in. He is suffering greatly. Maybe the most suffering that he's ever encountered, and that's saying something for the apostle. Paul, you know, um, but he wants Timothy to know that that is likely his destiny as well. That all those who want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffering, will suffer persecution. And so, um, you know, there's that. that's not just uh, good advice, you know, that's that's coming from his own reality. And he wants Timothy to know, don't be shocked when it comes your way, because it, it assuredly will come your way.
0: In chapter 2, verse 9, he says, for which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal, but God's Word is not chained. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That makes he, me want to stand he, right. up and cheer.
2: I know, right? Because he recognizes (laughs) it's never been about him. Right. Like they can, you know, he's got Timothy preaching the gospel. He's got people all over the place. The gospel is going to go out. And what a great reminder for all of us that, man, I'm grateful that God gets to use us while we have breath, while we have life, but God doesn't need us. And in fact, one day we will close our eyes in death and God's kingdom is going to continue. God's church will be strong and and will not give way because of, of our absence, you know. And so Paul had this great confidence in the power of the gospel and the power of God's church that he was delighted to, to lead while God gave him opportunity. But uh, he has no Messiah complex. There's only one Messiah. He says right. there in verse 8, remember Jesus Christ. I love that. Remember Jesus Christ, risen yes. from the dead. You know, don't remember me, remember Jesus Christ.
0: Yeah. And he does a great job of, let's say, I'll, I'll put this in in simple terms, learn the truth and then be reminded of it. Yes.
2: And live it out. And live it out, of you course. Know, just live it
0: out. I was yes, going to say don't. that, but you, you jumped in too fast. <laughs> Let me complete my yeah. thoughts, Jeff. <laughs> uh, so, um, but he says in, I think it's chapter, I think it's um, chapter two, he says talking about dealing with false teachers and and mm-hmm. keep reminding God's people of these things warn them uh, warn them before God against quarreling about words yeah, it is yeah, of no right. value and only ruins those who listen
2: and i'm telling you the the imagery that he gives there like when you get to verse 17 their teaching will spread like gangrene <laughs> that's quite the description and I, I'm telling you, I made the the mistake, I paid the dumb tax for anybody else listening, of going on a couple medical sites to understand why he chose gangrene. And uh, it is an awful, you know, an awful disease and one that has awful pictures on it if you look at at the different medical sites. But but I think the reason that he's bringing such a graphic, terrible uh, analogy to their teaching is because it starts like on the fringes, gangrene will start often on your extremities, mm-hmm. and then just slowly what happens is life-giving blood doesn't get to the cells, usually because of a, an injury, often a war wound, something that's preventing life-giving blood to get to the to the outer extremities. And so you're, from your fingers and your toes, tissue just begins to die. And then creep slowly back, back, back. And so just like false teaching, it will often start as this kind of marginal on the fringes. We don't need to worry about that. But unless you address it, unless you cut it out, unless you stop that movement of false teaching, it will absolutely continue to erode and kill and eventually take the life of the individual that's gangrene, the life of the church. It has to be addressed. It's, again, not just poor taste to have— um, empty words, uh, boastful words, irreverent, empty speech going on. Uh, No, it is ruinous, he says. It is the the word we get, catastrophe. It is catastrophic to the Church to allow this uh, to go on.
0: When Paul wrote that, I was wondering if he was looking at his own extremities. Was this a condition that Paul was maybe dealing with?
2: Wow. Wow. Oh, man. In, In addition to all of his other Oh yeah. yeah. That was one of them also know that's a good insight. It's, I mean he's he's well rotting
0: been. in a prison, right? Right. So who's right. to say he's not suffering himself from gangrene? Where else right. where else might he've he gotten the idea? You know, might have been his own right. arms and legs, who knows. Oh,
2: very true. Yeah. Wow, that's yeah. a
0: great insight. Jeff, let's take a break and then come back and continue our discussion um on this amazing book, 2 Timothy. Uh Pastor Jeff Dodge is my guest. He's teaching pastor at Veritas Church in Iowa City. And the director of Veritas School of Theology. Um, he just is recovering from grandkids in a bounce house at his, <laughs> his, at his house. So exactly. we got to be really nice to him, be very gentle. We'll talk slow. We'll be right back. <laughs> If you opened your Bible and it flopped open to the second book of Timothy, you are right where you need to be. I'm talking to Pastor (laughs) Jeff Dodge, teaching pastor at Veritas Church in Iowa City, and we're talking about 2 Timothy. When I get to chapter 3, Jeff, this is where it gets uh, very challenging, because I I hear this starting in chapter uh, 3, verse 1, but mark this, there will be terrible times in the last days. People will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boastful, proud, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, without love, unforgiving, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not lovers of the good, treacherous, rash, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. Have nothing to do with such people.
2: Yeah, that's explain, quite Pastor. A yeah, yeah, it's it's you know it's interesting. He has several different lists. uh, uh, I don't know if he's just got you know this uh, enormous amount of things that he's trying to convey to Timothy, but that's that's kind of classic to Second Timothy is for him to have an almost grocery list. <laughs> but what's crazy after you go through that that list of of descriptors for ungodly people, but he ends it with having a form of godliness but denying its power. What you realize is uh, as ungodly as these things are they have somehow masqueraded themselves to have some form, outward form of godliness. And so it's duplicitous at its core. Like there are people following these false teachers, thinking that they're seeing some kind of godliness mm. on the outside. But inside, kind of like the Pharisees, there's just dead man's bones. It's just it, they are terrible people, right? Um, and I, I think it's interesting how at the end of that little section, Hill, refer to just as Janus and Jambres uh, resisted Moses. These guys will resist the truth. Well, Janus and Jambres were the magicians in Pharaoh's court, you know, and they had real power. They caught a lot of attention. They were able to even match some of the things that Moses was doing. And so got a lot of notoriety and, and Pharaoh depended on them. And so it's just that example that our, our people often get uh, kind of, almost in, in, entranced by by leaders that uh seem powerful and charismatic and attractive in so many ways but inside uh there's a there's a lot of terrible character going on and we have to be so so careful so dangerous
0: mhm so what is wisdom f- uh about using discernment so we are aware mm-hmm. of these false teachers and we're not yeah. being judgmental, or are we being right. judgmental, because we are being deceived because they're not giving biblical truth. Right, um, that's right. But they might be popular and attractive exactly. to a lot of people, and how yep. dare you say something unkind about that person?
2: Yeah. It gets tricky, oh, doesn't man. it, Jeff? It gets so tricky. And I think that the number one litmus test that we have to have is is how we end that chapter. All scripture is inspired by God. It is profitable for teaching, rebuking, correcting, training and righteousness. That's how the man of God is complete and equipped for every good work. Like when you walk away from hearing these different leaders, preachers, teachers, whatever, are they actually pointing you more toward Christ? Do you do you find yourself being, you know, really just fascinated with the truth of the Bible? Or are you quoting them? Are you fascinated with them? Have they drawn your attention to themselves instead of to Christ? And that's the number one litmus test. If you find yourself just quoting their, you know, quippy little statements and even some of their empty and uh, sometimes irreverent speech, um, if, if that's what's getting your attention, then you're, you're probably following a dangerous false teacher. They should be taking you to Christ. They should be taking you to the scripture that's inspired by God.
0: Well, Jeff, what about if you just hear something from a, a preacher that that you like hearing because it fits your lifestyle oh, or your right. family institution or whatever it is, and you yep. want to drift towards ag- agreeing with that? Oh, I
2: know, I know. Which is why all of us have to stay so tethered to our Bibles, right? I mean, that's that's our only measure of truth is is what God has has given us in His Word, and anything short of that. Um, we've got to reject. We've got to let go of.
0: And we all have four or five blind spots. Um, <laughs> and <elite. laughs> we don't we don't know them because they're blind to us.
2: Absolutely. Absolutely. Which is why we also need other people who hold their Bibles dear to be able to, you know, hold it up in front of us as in a mirror so that we can see what's truly going on. Because if we're choosing to uh, neglect some things, we need people around us that are going to be able to um, you know that's why he says, along with those who call on the Lord out of a pure heart, like we're we're to be, not just in the for ourselves, but we've got to be running this, uh, you know, race of faith along with others who are calling on the Lord and who are going to help us when we need it desperately. Yeah,
0: yeah Jeff. When we get to chapter four, and Paul talks about Alexander the metal worker did me a great deal of mm. harm. What harm was that?
2: Man, naming names. You know, we're not exactly sure all of the backstory here, but what's shocking is that he's willing to to name names. But I'll tell you, that was one of the other insights, and I can't take credit for this. I was able to um, actually gain the gain this from uh, Ray Ortland, and he was talking about how often in disputes within God's church, there are some real bad guys. You know, like this Alexander the Coppersmith, who really did harm. But it's interesting because what Paul says next is, "At my first defense, no one stood by me; everyone deserted me." But this beautiful phrase, "May it not be counted against them." (laughs) Well, you know, in other words, yeah, there are bad guys. Name Alexander, call him what it is, because Timothy needs to know about it. He also needs to be warned. This 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 guy is to be, uh, you know, rebuked and, and shown for who he is. But then there's just people that get caught up in the drama they they just they're unwittingly kind of being pulled into the orbit of that. And, you know, Paul says, I think very differently about them than I do about Alexander. May the Lord not hold against him. You know why? Because he says, the Lord stood with me. I love it. The Lord stood with me and strengthened me. You know, God never left me. He never forsook me, you know, and I just think of, you know, Jesus in the garden, you know, when all of a sudden they— you know, moments before we'll we're ready to die for you, you know. And then the moment it happens, you know, and the soldiers come up, they run. They run like roaches and uh and Jesus gave full forgiveness. He knew that they truly were men of faith and they'd come back and they'd be strengthened and that day of Pentecost was coming, you know. And so I just think I it helps me to realize, yeah, we need to name the names of the true bad guys, but mm-hmm. then have grace and mercy and compassion for some that just kind of get caught up in it and will come back to their senses and are not nearly as culpable, right. As guys like Alexander, the coppersmith are.
0: Yeah. This is a, this is a thrilling letter.
2: It is indeed. Yeah. It
0: yeah. Is indeed. And, and I'm so glad that you g- came on today to talk about it because um, you got excited about it. Then I got excited about it. And I bet there's a lot <laughs> of other people that got excited about it. I have one last question for you, Jeff. Did you get your cleaning deposit back on the bounce house?
2: I did, indeed. We worked hard, and, oh, and man, it, it was dirty. <laughs> we,
0: we used it. <laughs> yeah. so thanks for being with me today. I'm, I hope you have a great rest of the day.
2: Thank you. Great to be with you all.
0: Thanks. thanks. Pastor Jeff Dodge has been my guest. He is at uh, the teaching pastor at Veritas Church in Iowa City. And we'll take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk to Dr. Tim Walsh. He's the vice president at Minnesota Adult and Teen Challenge. I got real curious as to how the pandemic has affected people from an addiction standpoint, anxiety, depression, and how people have medicated, over-medicated. I know there's been more uh, emergency room visits and, unfortunately, uh, fentanyl overdose deaths as a result in the last uh, year compared to the year before. So we'll find out about that. We'll take a break and be right back.